My name is Ransom. Hi, Ransom. Uh, I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm uh, gratefully recovering in this program. Uh, I get a lot of questions about my name. It is my real name. Ransom is a stage name. Um, I was named after my father's uh, favorite uncle in Mississippi, so even though I was born in the valley. <laughs> so um, I've been coming to pr- program for about three years, and, um, and I've been abstinent for two and a half years. Um, I've been, I sort of came to OA uh, from another 12-step program. Um, I was in Al-Anon for 15 years. Um, I did come to OA maybe eight years ago, and, um, and I did get some relief, um, but I sort of felt like I had uh, recovered. I sort of felt like, okay, my problem was arrested because I at least had stopped getting into my car at 10 o'clock at night to drive to go buy a pint of Haagen-Dazs. Um, so that behavior stopped, so I sort of thought, well, I'm cured. Um, I don't need to focus on OA that much anymore. But um, about three years ago, um, I realized that, yeah, something wasn't right, and I had to go back. Um, the reason why I mentioned I grew up in an alcoholic home, and I mentioned that because... Um, what I think of is that there's this one piece of Al-Anon literature that um, is 20 questions, did you grow up in an alcoholic home? And one of the questions is, do you struggle with your own compulsive behavior? And um, I guess that would be an understatement for me. <laughs> um, I was sort of determined uh, not to go down the road. My father did, but you know, I just picked up my own compulsive behaviors. Um, Before I came to OA, like three years ago, my life really was um, unmanageable. Um, I had always been, or at least in my adult life, I'd always been a little overweight. Uh, But I could tell my weight was just creeping up and up and up. And and it was obvious um, why that was happening. I discovered that you could order food online, which is, so you could be in a complete, you know, half days and not have to, like, get in your car and drive someplace. I mean, it's so easy. You could just hit a few buttons, and all of a sudden, in half an hour, um, a smiling delivery person uh, shows up and hands you all this food. Um, Sometimes I wonder if I was getting some sort of a fix, not only from the food, but also getting some human interaction. (laughs) I am an isolator by nature. Um, So basically, I was, you know, my pattern was I would go to the grocery store, buy all this healthy food, because like most compulsive overeaters, I know what healthy food is. I know what I should eat. Um, So I would buy, you know, a week's worth of healthy groceries, and um, I would usually (coughs) eat a healthy breakfast and a healthy lunch. And then I'd get home uh, in the evening for dinner, and I would just feel like, oh, my God, I have had such a stressful day. (coughs) Um, I'm entitled um, to treat myself. And um, what that looked like was... um, 
several ways, uh, but it would either be sort of maybe eating a normal breakfast, eating a normal dinner, and then at 10 o'clock at night ordering pizza, or at 10 o'clock at night ordering Hagen Dazs to be delivered. And um, and when I ordered, you know, Hagen Dazs, it was never just Hagen Dazs. That was just sort of the main uh, the main portion of that snack. Um, <laughs> And of course, you had to. Um, there was a minimum order, so <laughs> I ended up with yeah. I say, well, if I, there's a minimum order, I might as well yeah get a piece of carrot cake, <laughs> and, um, and then I fill out the order with um, pub soda. So I had like a year's supply worth of pub soda <laughs> in my house. Um, so I knew that uh, yeah things were out of control, and um, I knew that it was you know going to start affecting my health, and I knew it was going to start, um, and it was definitely affecting my pocketbook. I realized that you know having food delivered every single night um, it adds up, and it wasn't financially sustainable. So I sort of got to the point where I knew okay I either have to go to OA or DA. Um, <laughs> Uh, DA Debtors Anonymous. So, um, you know, I just sort of decided to go to OA. And um, I came to OA. Um, I came to the uh, kitchen sink uh, meeting th- starting three years ago. And it's been my uh, home meeting ever since. Uh, but I was a little shy about, you know, getting a sponsor. Um, in Al-Anon, what I had done is, you know, you could listen to all these speakers and wait until you find the perfect person who you um, relate to and uh, to be your sponsor. And, um, and I think maybe I was doing that with OA. Um, but eventually, um, you know, someone at the literature table just sort of grabbed me and t- introduced me to Michael, and Michael B., who you all know, and... Um, and, you know, I just expressed to him that I'm, like, stuck. Um, I'm ordering food every night. I don't know what to do. Uh, so he said just to call him since my, you know, issues sort of come up at night to call him at the end of the night. So um, I've been calling him almost every night or at least, you know, five nights a week uh, for the past two and a half years. And he's my sponsor. And um, since that time, I have not ordered food once and had it delivered to my house. So that's that's sort of my bottom line abstinence because that's what my you know sort of big life was. Um, and I was definitely a volume eater. You know, anything. Uh, I think I just sort of you know got um, it was just sort of, you know it was just comforting to eat. Um, I think I, I would eat, you know, whether I was angry or lonely, tired. Um, and, yeah, that, you know, even the uh, thought, I mean, it's almost rare that I would, it would even occur to me to have food delivered to my house. But um, even if it does, you know, enter my mind for a second, I realize, well, that's not, I know that's not going to give me any relief. Um, so my abstinence is uh, three meals a day and two snacks, uh, and I don't let uh, red light foods foods into my house. Um, 
and that's sort of is what, what has worked for me. Um, since I've been in OA, I've, uh, you know, I didn't weigh myself for the longest time, but according to my doctor, um, you know, she says I've, I've lost almost 40 pounds um, from when I, you know, because I see her like once every 18 months. So um, I lost, um, you know, between 35 and 40 uh, pounds, and it sort of came off pretty quickly and easily. And uh, my weight has been steady for like a year. So I am sort of, I did plateau, and I'm still, uh, what I've been doing lately is I've been, um, I have been keeping closer track of my uh, calories and logging my food just to sort of see um, if that will sort of help um, help me you know, sort of lose more weight. But um, you know, when I came into this program, it wasn't really an expectation of even losing weight. Um, I just knew that my life was out of control. Um, so I didn't have a fantasy that, well, if I lose weight, my life will be perfect. Um, I just knew that, you know, I couldn't continue the path I was down. And, um, and fortunately, you know, through my recovery, um, I have been able to lose weight. So I am grateful for that. Um, Let's see, I grew up uh, north of Los Angeles. Uh, it was a middle-class home, uh, but there was not a lot of structure. Uh, my father was an alcoholic, and he was also a cop, so he worked very strange hours. He worked a lot of overtime. He was rarely home. Uh, when he was home, he was just sort of either checked out with um, alcohol, or he was... Uh, watching football on television or, um, you know, basically just not available. And, um, and my brother and I were a little, you know, a little scared of him. You know, he was sort of threatening. Uh, there was always, the, you know, the walking on eggshells, like, okay, this, this situation could explode <laughs> any second, so I need to be really quiet and really good so that uh, nothing... Yeah, just to keep everything smooth. Uh, so that was uh, part of the dynamic of my childhood. The other part was my mother suffered from a lot of chronic health problems. And uh, she was constantly going sort of in and out of the hospital, um, you know, always, you know, sort of in her room, sort of recuperating. Um, and I think part of her problem, you know, she obviously did have some genuine physical problems, but I think, you know, the stress of um, living with an alcoholic, she just felt, I think she just felt completely baffled, completely overwhelmed, uh, felt isolated. Um, her life had not turned out the way she expected. You know, she was highly educated. Um, and she was sort of like too sick to hold down a full-time job. So... Um, and on top of that, you know, because she wasn't working, um, you know, money was tight. Uh, so she just had a lot of stressors. But, um, and I think she had a lot of anger. And she took that anger out. I feel she took her anger out on sort of me and my brother. You know, the anger she had at sort of life and my father. Um, so there was, again, even with my mother, it was sort of this walking on eggshells uh, you know, just constantly trying to be good, to be perfect. 
And, um, you know, she was checked out in her own way. So my brother and I were just sort of left to raise ourselves. And, um, you know, meals were very um, inconsistent in our house. Um, And there was a lot of denial. Uh, My mother, um, she went through this phase where... um, she would go to the health food store back in the 70s when health food stores did not sell very appetizing food. <laughs> um, and there was these protein shakes. And these weren't like the Carnation Instant Breakfast protein shakes. These were like, these just tasted awful. And somehow she had convinced herself like she was like being this like super mom by making us these protein shakes in the morning that just tasted awful. And um, I would just pour them into the toilet. And uh, so she was in complete, you know, she was clueless that I was just skipping breakfast. Um, and, you know, my brother and I would make our own lunches. So, you know, it frequently maybe consist of a sandwich and then three hostess cupcakes. Uh, because, you know, the hostess cupcakes could disappear um, in three days and there'd be no questions asked. Um, and then uh, when my brother and I got home from school, we would, you know, a lot of the times we would just uh, fend for ourselves. So we both sort of became grazers. You know, we'd come home from school, have a snack, then a few hours later have another snack, and then maybe something that resembled a meal. But it was really just grazing throughout the night, um, you know, on... Yeah, when my dad, on his days off, he would barbecue, so he would sort of make double batches of things, so we'd eat some leftovers, and um, we'd eat a lot of cereal, a lot of TV dinners, a lot of frozen burritos, um, a lot of, you know, Snickers. (laughs) My mother would make sure there was always, like, either ice cream or Snickers in the freezer. Um... So basically, I did not develop very good eating habits uh, as a child. And um, I, and compared to the other three members of my family, I was sort of the thinnest of, you know, of the four of us. Uh, but I still, you know, when I got into high school, I did have, um, I, I definitely had body image issues. You know, I just did not feel comfortable in my, over, in my own skin. I felt very... Um, sort of fat and unattractive, even though when I look at photos of myself, I wasn't really fat, you know. I was just, you know, a few pounds overweight. But I just had this perception that I was, um, yeah, I just did not feel comfortable in my own skin. And... um, and again, food was one of the was probably the primary place where I looked for comfort for that. <coughs> um, you know, my brother and I were expected to be uh, very self-sufficient, uh, and uh, we like rarely asked for help because uh, asking for help, like you never knew what you were going to get in return. It wasn't a guarantee you'd get help. Um, If you ask for help, you may get, you know, a lecture or you may get yelled at um, because you didn't already know what the right action was. Um, 
So there was basically just, um, you know, I was always like a quiet kid and a little shy, but somehow like those behaviors were really reinforced in me. And I just um, continued to be um, an isolator. And it got worse. You know, basically, you know, as you know, this disease was progressive. So it progressed over the years. In college, you know, um, I started eating my yeah, eating increased and again it was I felt um, you know sort of bored lonely um, stressed out so food is what I turned to and um, and I also became overly um Obsessed with what people thought of me. You know, I was a major people pleaser. Um, I wanted everyone to like me. Um, and, you know, I didn't. Yeah, I just was not um, functioning at a very high level. And uh, my mother always felt, or like my parents were. Uh, I sort of feel like they were in denial or they were just clueless because I think I started suffering from depression, at least in college. And um, there, yeah, they just, there was no, um, no awareness um, of, yeah, what was going on. So, um, as an adult, I did uh, start I went on a few diets. I was never a compulsive dieter, but, you know, I did do Weight Watchers a couple times. I did do um, the no carbs for a while. Um, I was never a huge restrictor, but, you know, my weight did fluctuate a little bit. Um, And... Yeah, I just felt... uh, Again, things weren't uh, working out the way I had planned. Um, what brought me into uh, 12-step was, a, you know, originally a therapist who uh, directed me to come to um, Al-Anon and then through people in Al-Anon directed me to OA. Um, that... Um, Yeah, but I guess I'd like to get back to the recovery is that um, I've been working the steps. I'm on step 12 now, so I feel like, um, which is further than I've gotten in the steps previously, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, I am uh, praying and meditating every day, though imperfectly. Um, I do every morning. I do pray and meditate every morning, although I somehow don't always feel like um, the meditation is going the way it should, but at least I am trying to be consistent. Um, I do use a God box a lot. Um, A God box is where, you know, if I'm having an obsessive problem that I'm, you know, obsessing over, I write the problem down on a piece of paper and um, then I'll just say a short prayer and turn it over to God and put it in this physical box. And and a lot of times that 
just that action is sort of enough to sort of uh, make me feel like, okay, I can turn this over. And, um, of course, you go back a year later and you read all the pieces of paper in your God box and you realize, well, none of these really turned into a catastrophe. Everything sort of worked out. So, um, you know, it does give you perspective that, you know, a lot of the problems that I obsess about over and over are not really major problems. Um, You know, one of the other things is that... um, You know, the amends, oh, sort of being a people pleaser, you know, I didn't have, and always wanting to be the perfect, uh, you know, the perfect person, the perfect son, the perfect citizen. Um, I didn't have a lot of amends to make, but mainly amends to myself. You know, it's, you know, I guess my amends to myself is not to beat myself up uh, constantly and um, to just try to be more gentle with myself. Um, and I think the biggest um, gift that recovery has given me is that, you know, we, uh, my parents had sent us to Catholic schools, and, you know, which was perfect since I was obsessed with being a good boy. That was the perfect environment uh, for me to be in. And of course, I was, you know, determined to be the perfect Catholic. And, um, and I kept trying to fit myself, you know, it's like square peg in a round hole. And, um, and you know, it just, you know, being gay, I never uh, was able to, you know, I always didn't feel quite right. Um, it just got to the point where that wasn't working for me. And once I discovered 12-step, I realized, oh, wait, there's a way that I can be spiritual and have a relationship with God, uh, you know, that is a better fit for me right now. I guess one of the things that, you know, I still struggle with, you know, when you stop overeating, some of the, some other compulsive behaviors tend to pop up. So for me, those compulsive behaviors are uh, TV watching um, and shopping on Amazon. Those are probably <laughs> my two uh, biggest distractions. Um, so those are things I sort of need to keep an eye on and uh, I guess talk to my sponsor if they get, uh, you know, if I see they're starting to get out of hand. So uh, thank you and I look forward to hearing what uh, the questions. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking a question, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Um... Okay. Um, I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about this God box. Um, so a couple questions. Is that sort of your only step-free activity? Um, and also, what do you think it sort of does to you cognitively, sort of cerebrally, like what happens? 
Well, usually, um, so a God, the question is about a God box and sort of the process. And, um, you know, it's my God box is just this little antique box, although sometimes people make their own um, as sort of a craft. Um, And usually, again, it's it's not something I do... uh, Proactively, it's usually like uh, the last resort. I just find I'm just obsessing and worrying about something uh, so much. You know, usually it's something about work, um, some crisis that you know where I think, oh my God, I'm gonna you know get fired, or you know this person doesn't like me, or what if this person complains about me, or what is this coworker? You know, she gave me a look before I left the office. What does that mean? Um, so usually it's just like the obsession reaches a point where I cannot, sometimes, where I can't, you know, it just sort of becomes self-consuming. And at that point, I like sort of realize, um, wait, I need to like really shift. So um, I find that just the act of writing the problem down, because usually it's a fairly simple problem, you can fit it on one sentence, um, and just saying a prayer, you know, just like saying the serenity prayer and uh, just putting the piece of paper uh, in the box. Um, for me, just sort of that physical act, I think a lot of it's just pausing and breathing and saying the prayer and um, having a physical action to go with that, I think does help um, sort of reinforce that I'm sort of turning this over to God. So that's been my experience. Yeah. Um, okay, so first of all, thanks for your share. Um, and it's kind of a weird question. I'm fairly new to LA. I have like a little bit of abstinence, but I find um, myself having a lot of grief about like breaking my abstinence. I wonder if that's like something you've experienced or that's something that people have. And like, I feel like from a drink around here. Yeah, um, the question was, uh, do I, you know, uh, dream about uh, foods or compulsively overeating um, things that, you know, I guess would be on my red light list? And um, to be honest, I I don't, I I could tell from the laughs in this room that that's not a unique problem. (laughs) So I would say if you're experiencing that, that's completely normal. Uh, But um, I actually don't remember. um, Most of my dreams are usually just anxiety dreams, like, um, like, you know, just just generalized anxiety about life in general. So I haven't actually had dreams about food specifically, just... um, you know, the anxiety that leads up to the eating. <laughs> so that's it. My definition of a higher power. Um, basically, you know, uh, as I mentioned, I grew up in an organized religion, so um, I was sort of comfortable with the idea of a higher power. But. Um, It was much more compartmentalized, I think, before, um, and much more uh, rigid. I think um, now my, you know, my the way I look at my higher power is someone who, you know, generally has my best interest at heart, 
and uh, doesn't want to punish me and um, you know isn't um, you know writing down everything that I do that's bad um, so I think I view my higher power or at least I try to visualize my higher power as um, you know just wanting wanting the best for me so that's it Thank you, Madison. Um, so the, the ninth step you mentioned, the making the medicine stuff like that, you know, it's kind of scary. Can you mention some specific examples of the ninth step that you face in here? Well, um, yeah, the main example is, um, or like, you know, this would be something that most people, you know, would probably do and not think about twice, but um, since I'm obsessed with being perfect, um, I had this. Uh, when I graduated um, from college um, and I was working on my thesis I you know I was just very stressed out and I had like I had these library books and I started under, underlining things in pencil I thought okay I'm going to go back and erase all the pencil marks before I turn the book and um, <laughs> I was just like so done uh, at the end of graduating, I just like turned in the library books and uh, just thought, oh, like I just turned them in and didn't think anything about it. And um, although I did feel occasional pangs of guilt, and then um, then I would um, then I sort of went back to school, but I still had, you know, as an alumni benefit, I could still check out books at the univer- at my university I got my bachelor's from. And um, I checked out some books once, you know, then I needed to renew them online. So I called up and said, oh, I want to renew these books. And uh, the person, it was just like a, a student worker said, you know, I'm really sorry. I can't renew these books for you uh, because according to our records, you've been banned for life. Oh my God. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course... Because I already, you know, this was like 20 years after I got my diploma. (laughs) But it was just sort of, you know, just very humiliating that, um, (coughs) that, you know, oh my God, there's this black mark on my record out there that's going to follow me for all eternity. Um, So I, you know, so I turned in those books, but of course never, you know, investigated why I was banned for life. I just assumed it was because, you know, they found out I had <laughs> underlined things with pencil. Um, and it's just sort of one of those things that just sort of weighed on me, um, you know, for like the past 15 years, you know. Um, it, and I just um, didn't know what to do about it. I somehow felt, oh my God, somehow this is going to come back and haunt me. Like, um, like, I'm going to need to get, you know, a security clearance or something. They're going to find out I was banned for life uh, from the library. Um, so, you know, speaking with my sponsor, I was able to sort of, you know, able to, I guess, sort of be an adult and face my fears and go into the library, you know, ask to speak, you know, to someone. And I sort of told them that, you know, about you know, ten years ago, I had been told that I had, you know, that I was banned for life, and I wanted to know um, sort of what was going on and what I needed to do to make it right. 
And of course he looked up on my computer and there was no record of me being banned for life. <laughs> I think he thought I was a little crazy. Um, but, you know, I spoke with my uh, sponsor and we had already agreed, like I figured out, like, okay, you know, a student worker to erase all the pencil marks, you know, it would not cost more than $100 in time for, for them to pay a student to erase all the pencils. So, um, so I figured, okay, $100. So I still went, you know, to the main library office and, um, and made a donation for $100. And that was just sort of my amends. And, um, yeah, and I do feel like um, I don't obsess about that anymore. So that's been the recovery. So. Besides food, what area is most recovery? Well, <clears throat> I guess the area where I've had the most recovery is that's hard. Um, you know, as I've mentioned, I've always struggled with isolation. Um, I feel very um, content being by myself. Uh, the thing is, is that, you know, I just know it's not healthy for me to, uh, you know, stay in my apartment and just watch Netflix all day. Uh, that's what I would like to do. Um, but, you know... Being in 12-step, it has forced me to reach out to other people. Um, I do have, I think one of the things that brought me into 12-step originally, <coughs> excuse me, was that, you know, I felt so isolated. I didn't real, I couldn't identify, you know, feeling isolated at the time, but my life was so small. And through recovery, I have met, you know, a lot of people, a lot of friends, and I do feel much more connected uh, to Society, So that's sort of the area where I've gotten a lot of recovery that I maybe wasn't looking for initially, but um, was sort of an added benefit. And, but it's also something that I realize that I need to continually work on. Um, so, because, you know, my default is to go back to just, um, you know, going home, watching Netflix, and uh, not interacting with other people. So it is something that is just sort of, I constantly, you know, have to uh, keep in check. So, in the back. Uh, how was your relationship with your brother, starting uh, how he grew up, and you know, did he go through the <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, he does work it very differently. My brother and I, we have a very cordial relationship. Um, I wish we were closer, uh, but, you know, we see each other, you know, four times a year, um, and it's always very pleasant, but it's also a little superficial, and I'm not sure if that is, um, you know, I think a lot of it is him, but I think some of it may be me too. Um, he, you know, approaches things very differently. Um, he actually became a Catholic priest. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, his, I. Yeah, if I mention a 12-step program, his eyes sort of glaze over, and it's, you know, it's. Uh, he doesn't really want to, you know, he's 
supportive of me, and he, I, I'm sure he loves me, and you know, we get along, but um, yeah, our relationship is more superficial uh, than I would like, and um, obviously he's found other ways to, um, to grow spiritually. So. I'm also um, fairly new to OA, and I'm just missing my very basic question, but how do you handle um, eating in restaurants or going to dinner parties or, in my work, I do a lot of that. How do you handle those situations if you don't know, like, ahead of time what the server or... Yeah, so the question is, um, how do I stay abstinent uh, going to restaurants or at social events where there's going to be food, and especially when you don't know what's going to be on the menu? Um, with restaurants, um, sometimes, I, I guess I have a few ways of addressing that. If, it's, if I know the restaurant we're going to and I've never been there before, you know, most restaurants do have... Uh, menu posted online. So I try to do some advanced research and figure out what I'm going to do. Most restaurants, um, or many restaurants from my experience, (coughs) at least have like salmon on the menu. So sometimes I'll just think, okay, if there's salmon on the menu, I'll get that. And uh, that way I don't need to think about it, you know, and spend 30 minutes, you know, obsessing about the menu. Um, And no, I'm just very careful. Uh, if there's something where there's unlimited quantities, I just try not to go there. So if there's a bread basket, I just don't start. I just don't eat any bread or chips. And um, and then when I get my food, you know, I try to order something that's you know relatively healthy. And um, and if it's something that's you know, I may. You know, again, going back to me being the good boy, I always had to clean my plate. So uh, for me, contrary action is like, okay, I can leave half the rice on my plate, and it's not gonna, I'm not gonna starve, and uh, it's sort of a good contrary action for me. Um, with social um, things, again, that's sort of hard uh, for me, but you know, um, I know that. Uh, you know, really snacky foods like chips, I just avoid. Um, and I avoid desserts. Um, you know, I just don't eat them. So, and then, you know, the other stuff, I just try to, uh, I attempt to eat in moderation. And then, you know, if I, you know, then I just try not to beat myself up if I eat, you know, more than I intended. So, that's it. Um, thanks for your journey. How is your relationship with your parents? Are they still here? Did you uh, yeah, both of my parents are, um, they passed away. My father passed away fairly young. He was in his 50s. Um, I was you know, well into adulthood when he passed away. Um, my mother passed away about 10 years ago. Um, yeah, my relationship with my parents I mean it was always superficially good there was never like a big falling out but again um, it was a little superficial you know I never felt safe coming out as gay eventually I did to my mother Um, and it wasn't so much that she was 
homophobic because you know I don't she didn't care if other people were gay uh, she just did wanted she was very concerned about appearances and I think somehow she felt like oh if she had a gay son that was a sign that somehow she had failed and uh, so that was a little frustrating uh, but you know my amends to my and I'll wrap it up my amends um, I did write letters to both my or actually I still need to write the letter to my father I did write a letter to my mother and uh, read it at her graveside although I realized um, after I you know I'd written the letter and then some time had gone by and then I finally got around to like getting to the graveside and I read it and I realized well there's like a lot of like anger and venting <laughs> undercurrents in this letter so I sort of felt like I need to go back and uh, do that again um, because my mother did do a lot of like really great things uh, for me but um, yeah it was just a very challenging childhood so thank you